All right, we'll see how long we got. <laughs> and you know what? I am just reminded um, again and again, you know, God works in such mysterious ways. Um, I remember a couple years ago, it was just Pastor Brian and I here on a Sunday, and the lights went off. And uh, just that feeling of, like, what do we do? And I think back to that, and I'm like, man, that was so tender. Just having to trust, okay, God, you got something planned. It is not what we have planned, but we're going to trust that you have gone before us um, and just to have you lead the way. And so we're going to do the same today. Uh, As Barry read for us, we are jumping back into the Gospel of Mark. We took a pause um, during the Advent season to just look at the unexpected arrival of Jesus. And today we are back in the Gospel of Mark. Today, as we dive back in, um, I just want to remind us a couple things about Mark, our author of today's text. You know, he recounts the story of Jesus, but he does so hastily. He bypasses the birth story of Jesus and doesn't mention any of his childhood, but jumps immediately into um, John the Baptist preparing the way for Jesus. And then we're told that Jesus is baptized and he launches into ministry. But Mark makes clear from the very first verse of Mark that he is to tell the good news of Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. And from there, he takes us on this whirlwind adventure, and we just try to keep up. Jesus, however, is not who people were expecting. He did not come as a mighty warrior or an earthly king, but instead, he sought to reveal himself to those who had eyes to see and ears to hear. And in today's passage, we are confronted with two stories about Jesus. The unbelief of the people in his own hometown and how he sends out his 12 disciples. So let's dive in first to the familiar proverb we may have heard before, that a prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown or village. So we'll look at verses 1 through 6. But so far in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus has been spending time in the Sea of Galilee and Capernaum. And now the location shifts. He goes about 25 miles southwest of the Sea of Galilee and Capernaum, and he goes to his own hometown. Remember, this is not his birth city, but it is where he grew up, and this village is quite obscure. We read in verse 2 that when the Sabbath came, Jesus begins to teach in the synagogue, and many people are astonished. That Greek word astonished or amazed reaches the very top of the frequency list in the Greek words in the New Testament. According to the writers of the gospel, everywhere Jesus went, his teaching, his power, and his miracles provoked a response from people. The people are amazed at his wisdom and his power But the little twist of astonishment in in Nazareth is not only for the people, but with Jesus himself. What surprised the people of Nazareth was that Jesus was going into the synagogue and was teaching like a rabbi. And with him were these students who followed him everywhere they went. They knew Jesus. They knew he didn't go to seminary. He didn't go to the university. He didn't even study under a rabbi of the day. 
For all intents and purposes, they knew that Jesus is not qualified. And because he lacked the credentials, they were shocked that he would enter the synagogue and begin teaching. But as they listened, they were astonished again because they couldn't get over his wisdom and his teaching was beyond profound. They were also amazed about the reports they had heard of the deeds and the miracles that Jesus had been performing. And so they asked the question, is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? The people had a lot of questions regarding Jesus. Not only what he does, he's a carpenter, but who his family is, and even more, who does this guy think he is? One question that Mark includes rather intentionally, though, is that Jesus is Mary's son. Typically, you would be associated as your father's son. And so why didn't he say this is Joseph's son? Well, on one hand, it may mean that Joseph had passed away. But most likely, it is that the townspeople are remembering that Jesus' birth is a little scandalous. The math didn't quite add up. There were things about Jesus' birth that were way different than his siblings' birth. And so the people are even questioning if Jesus is legitimately in his own family. Additionally, it's very likely that Mark frames the question and even includes the question because even though Mark never tells of Jesus' birth story, he is giving hints. Man, Jesus' birth, that was miraculous. I don't got time to tell you, but let me give you a hint. The text tells us that the people took offense at Jesus, which could also be translated as they stumbled over Jesus. Pause for a second and hear that. People stumbled over him. They looked at this homegrown handyman and thought, no way, that guy, he's not the Messiah. Have you ever felt that way? I know I have, and still sometimes I do. But isn't that the neat part about God? He chooses the unlikely. All throughout the breadth of scripture, we see God over and over again working in the most mysterious of ways. Think about your life for a second. Is God transforming parts of, the, of you that people would around you say, that guy, that girl, no way. And in turn, all you have to say back is, yeah, God has transformed me little by little, inside out. That's the mysterious part of God. What about how God is working in your life? I know sometimes it's not the way we had planned or not the way we choose, but looking back, isn't it so much better? Growing up in the church, I always felt like I needed a big story. You know, I heard testimonies my whole life, and so I felt like, man, I need to do something and really make a 180 and go the other way. And there are certainly stories like that. And there's parts of my story that feel like that. 
But one thing I wish somebody would have told me a little bit sooner in life is that God may work slowly, but he does work steadily. You don't have to have a big thing and then God just reorient your life to prove that God's at work in your life. No, if you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, God is at work. That one more second of patience that you have. The nudge to ask forgiveness when you know you did something wrong. The awareness of your own limitations are all God's way of inviting you to continue to surrender and trust in him and not on your own strength. One commentary comments on how the people of Nazareth could not explain Jesus and so they simply rejected him. And sometimes we're like that too. We can't explain God and so we're held back or potentially may even reject him. It is only through Christ's work in our life that we are able to open our hands and begin to receive the truth of who he is. In verses 5 and 6, we see Jesus not performing any miracles, but being amazed at their lack of faith. On one hand, it's not that Jesus didn't have power to perform miracles in Nazareth, but he chose not to in such a climate of unbelief. And we're told that Jesus is amazed or astonished in the lack of faith. And we see Jesus marveling one other time in the gospel. Here in Nazareth, and then in the gospel of Luke, when he recounts the great faith of a Roman centurion, a Gentile. What a contrast. The lack of faith of those who would be assumed to totally get it the people who watched Jesus grow up, and yet the other man who is so outside of any expectation is the one who Jesus marvels at for having great faith. Then Mark takes us into this next scene where he sends his 12 disciples out. Jesus tells the disciples to bring a few things, but also to not bring much. For they are to rely on the hospitality of those they are staying with. Can you imagine? All you have is a coat, a belt, sandals, and a staff. Interestingly enough, these are the things God commands the Israelites to have on the night of the Passover before they flee Egypt in Exodus 12. When Jesus commands the disciples to go... He is not sending them out on this emergency, swift mission. Instead, they're supposed to rely on local hospitality and focus entirely on the task at hand. Preach the news. The kingdom of God is here. Turn your life around and follow Jesus. Jesus was not delegating. He had an urgent message, and he couldn't tell people fast enough for people to hear and receive. So he empowers the disciples to go as well. And yet, just like in Nazareth, Jesus warns the disciples that there will be those who are unwilling to receive what they share. And Jesus tells his disciples to shake the dust. 
which is the same saying used in Matthew 10 and Luke 9, which both refer to when Jesus is telling the disciples how they are supposed to respond when they are unwelcomed. Shake the dust. Just like today, there are people who would rather stay sick than face a new way of life because the gospel is a dangerous one. We rely not on ourselves, not on our own strength, but trust in the one God of heaven and earth. Jesus commands his disciples to share the gospel message, and not if, but when people reject it, shake the dust. Sometimes I wonder how many of us, due to the circumstances we live in, Do not think about the dangerous life Jesus actually calls us to and sends us out with. But today, as we come to the table to celebrate communion, we take part again that we confess that we need a Savior. That we are washed in the blood of Christ and redeemed to new life. And that message is dangerous. It is one where we confess that we are not sufficient, that we have fallen short and will continue to do so, that our only hope is in Christ alone, and that there is absolutely nothing that can make him stop loving us that way. We don't have to do anything or prove anything, but all we can do is point to him for working in and through us, sometimes in the most mysterious of ways. As we continue through the Gospel of Mark, I pray that we not only personally receive the Gospel, but that everything, because of the strong Savior we have in Christ. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, we are so thankful. Thankful that you have come in the unexpected arrival of Christ, to be Emmanuel, God with us. We thank you for your word, that it is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Holy Spirit, would you continue to work in us in ways unimaginable, Now, would you invite us to acknowledge the ways you have been at work in and through us? Would we not explain it our way with our own explanations, but point directly to you, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith? God, I pray for any of us who have yet to receive you. Even here in this place, we acknowledge that we are all in different seasons of life. And yet we trust that you are relentless in your pursuit of us. Would we see you for who you really are and give every second of our lives to you? Help us to surrender that we may receive. In the strong and steady name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.